Right, anyway, enough of that. So, um, yeah, it's really weird that it's taken this long for the preview to start working. Anyway, uh, everyone, hello. Uh, I am live. Uh, I'm here. Uh, you, you should have me. Uh, this, this YouTube is just very weird. I don't know why. It's Apparently, I've been streaming for a minute and a quarter, but but you're only just saying that it's not working. Anyway, um, let's get on with it, shall we? I'm, I'm here. Uh, oh, I can go big face to prove it. Uh, it's it's hello I'm here <laughs> hello not quite sure what was happening there but uh, it is live very strange um it's been a long time since we've looked at COVID stats so that's precisely what we're going to do uh, there's been many things happening which is why it's spiking around but here's the overall trend and uh, let's get the old let's get the old pen up shall we here's the overall trend uh, and you can see that actually even if you ignore kind of Christmas there's just been a general sort of uh, sort of upwards trend, which is nice. Um, with the dip for the, the kind of the Christmas period when things were getting bad again, and also obviously the dip for the main sort of strike period uh, that we had, and then a few other sort of dips coming from disruption strikes. We, we, who knows where it's going to go? But let's let's zoom in on this year. So the first week of strikes, uh, uh, you know, you can see that there was a hit to, to numbers immediately after that, uh, right down to, to sort of fifty percent. Those that rebounded immediately back to 90%. <laughs> so the strikes didn't have any impact on ridership. Um, uh, and uh, But they will they will have a, a long-term impact on ridership if government doesn't sort of get its act together. Uh, I know there are changes. I don't, I'm don't. i a little out of the loop with what the latest offer to RMT has been. Um, so I, 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 I'm not sure whether we're closer to a resolution or not yet. Um Let's see. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about strikes later. In any case, uh, the ridership levels have kind of been there at ninety, and then they've dropped, and then they're back at this is at ninety four percent here. This bit here, this bit, uh, was at ninety four percent. So um, we we really are at the point where we're reaching kind of overall. Okay, the patterns have changed, but we are reaching the point where overall we have uh, railway recovery. Uh, in terms of ridership, not in terms of, uh, of fair income. Although, I, if someone has got the... In fact, I know a few people on here will do. Simon, when you listen to this, can you send over the latest GBRTT or someone out there, send over the latest GBRTT um, revenue summary tables, please, so we can see where we're at with actual revenue recovery. That'd be very interesting. And uh, Tom uh, Tom Cairns, I, I need to prod you again. I need, I need to have a look at what the current actual service looks like. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree, Peter. The, the 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 lack of current lack of funding and the the ridership levels fluctuating all over the place is going to have an impact, uh, much more than an, an individual strike day or a few strike days. Uh, cycling figures are are okay. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. It's been a nice hot summer uh, slash horrifyingly hot summer. Uh, people have been cycling. This is nice. This is good. Um, will it last? Well, you hope so. But there is a general. I'd say there is a general trend there, which is positive. Um, that's good. I, I think that's one of the things this government can rightly be proud about is is what it's done um, in terms of cycling. Not everywhere, but you know, fairly uniformly, that's been a government policy to make more active travel happening. Deirdre, hello. Uh, greetings from a slightly damp Madrid, says Detour. Um, lovely. Um, where are we up to on returning to normal timetable? Gareth Williams. I don't know yet, actually. Uh, that's why I need to, I need to prod Tom. Tom is the data wrangler sadly i can't um do it myself uh but also tom's a busy a busy guy so i don't want to prod too hard but uh when he gets a chance to i'm sure he'll pull together the that, that data that i looked up last time um 
which was a while back now, wasn't it? And we looked at the state of the timetable, we looked at how many train, you know, what percentage of trains are and aren't running. Uh, it'll be useful for me because it'll allow me to start asserting my this government have cut more rail services than Beeching did uh, a statement, which I think is genuinely true now. Anyway, um, so that's the that's the COVID stat. Anything else to, to kind of pick up on in there? Uh, bus services, that's something that I'm worried about. Why are bus services dropping down towards 60%? What's What's with that? Why is that happening? Is that... Is that because there are widespread strikes on some of the kind of the, or or is that because of, is this well it's not TFL though so it's nothing to do with the TFL issue this is all non non TFL bus services so what's going on there that any any thoughts on that the the bus figures here are the ones that are worrying me the most um, uh, yeah uh, really very worrying to see that that downwards trend really that there's kind of a bit of a step change down here as well so is that a strike day is that when the strike started happening in in uh, you know, there are no buses running in Merseyside at the moment, for example, and, and, and other bus challenges in West Yorkshire as well. There have been, been problems. Um, is that what's going on there? I don't know. I don't know the bus industry well enough to know what, what, what's going on there. But, um, yeah, that's worrying to me, particularly given that we are having kind of reduced bus fares being introduced at the moment, which is a positive news story. Actually, it's a positive news story that I've not put in the news. Oh, um Increases in cycling substitute for buses? No, I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, there have been a lot of cuts in bus ridership, but this is a... Yeah, that's a fair point. But it's, a, it's as a percentage of... Yeah, okay, yeah, but it's as a percentage of pre-COVID levels, but, but an absolute number. So it's not a comparison between two percentages. It is a comparison between two absolute numbers. Um, yeah, a few people is asking if it's displacement from bus to bicycle. I don't... Hmm. I don't think it is because you've kind of got a bit of a drop in cycling coinciding with it. Um, so I don't know whether it's to do, is it to do with the, you know, is it heat that's causing issues? No, I don't think it's that. Uh, yeah, a few, yeah, I think it's, um, I, I think that it could be that there have just been bus cuts, you know, bus cuts have, have kind of bitten in. Yeah. Anyway, that's an interesting one. Uh, more chat about that on the Discord and on Twitter, actually, if you've got answers to that one, uh, uh, shove it on Twitter. Anyway, um, uh, that's it. We're going to go straight into the into the episode. Everyone, um, welcome to tonight's. It's it's a news one. Everyone, uh, welcome to tonight's uh, rail matter. City 225 fading away in, in grand fanfare there. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a news one, everyone. Um, and uh, headlining our, our news episode today is um, um, is, uh, is the fact that they've... Why have they done... This is... I mean, I, I presume there's, a, there's a Pokemon event happening in London right now, apparently, according to Twitter of five, ten minutes ago. And um, and they've, they've renamed the Dangleway, or at least they've, like... Pokemon branded the Dangleway, which is, I mean, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I, I get, I think it's understandable not to go OTT on branding other, other elements of, um, uh, of uh, the TFL network. But given that the Dangleway is ridiculous, unique and stupid, uh, it seems funny to me to, uh, to rebrand it. So yeah, uh, here it is. Here is a re, uh, kind of a, a Pokemonified uh, Dangleway and uh, replete with uh, giant, comedy mascot um yeah i don't recognize half of these uh, pokemon 
I'm, I'm just I'm just behind the times on Pokemon and how uh, and what they are. You know, give me give me a give me a Machamp any day. Anyway, uh, got to dangle them all uh, apparently. So uh, there we go. Anyway, right. So that's that. What other thing? This is an interesting. This doesn't really fit anywhere else, or it kind of half does. But it's this. This was there's some Twitter discourse about this at the end of Ju at the end of July. People are talking about Greenbelt and the decimation of the UK's Greenbelt. And um, I mean, Greenbelt is a stupid thing anyway. I don't agree with Greenbelt. Just, oh, let's get my miniaturized face up in the top corner. By the way, we, this, the we have the technology for this. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, we have the the. The collapse of, of Sacred Greenbelt graft here, Tom Saunders, uh, data journalist, pointing out. And, um, yeah. <laughs> As you can see, the uh, the Greenbelt is not... There's there's no decimation going on. It's just, just a gentle reduction. Uh, and overall, the for people in audio only, um, so Greenbelt is currently... I believe this is... It's unlabeled. I'm going to go with hectares. So it's uh, one and a half million hectares of Greenbelt. Does that sound realistic? Yeah, it probably does actually. That's a fairly fair amount. Uh, one and a half million uh, hectares of greenbelt, and um, it's still above one and a half million, and it's reduced by what looks like a very small percentage. Uh, like, if it's if it's even one percent, I would be surprised. But a very very s small reduction, you know, uh, single figures uh, percentages certainly. Um, no grand decimation at all. And uh, yeah, no, Greenbelt is it was was just a tool for people. It's just yet another tool, like like so much of Britain's economy and and function and, and the only bits of the state that were allowed to leave functioning. Uh, it's a tool to maintain house prices because house prices, you know, artificially high house prices, is literally the way that the British economy exists. Uh, and if that disappeared, um, and the and the gig was up on that one, and we started realizing there was bricks and mortar. Um, the, the whole economy would collapse in a way that it's going to this uh, winter for different reasons. Uh, but anyway, so there, there we go. I thought that was fun to start with. Oh, where do we go from here? Though? Why is this? My computer's being a bit weird. Uh, I don't know why. Is it because there's a thunderstorm outside and everything's static? Anyway, um, I've been seeing multiple um, pieces coming out. In So there's one in Gizmodo, and I think there was one. Uh, it might not have been in Wired, actually, but there was another. In fact, probably was not in Wired, because Wired is um, somewhat... Uh, establishment, but uh, there, there there have been a few more tech journalists adding to the pile of uh, you know more mainstream tech journalists finally starting to talk about tech and transport. And uh, there's a good good Gizmodo piece here. Here's Brent Tadarian pointing out. Um, Brent Tadarian quote, kind of pulling out a quote from this piece, which is uh, Elon Musk admitted to his biographer that the reason the Hyperloop was announced, even though he had no intention of pursuing it, was to try to disrupt the California high speed rail project to get in the way of that actually succeeding. I mean, this isn't news. I mean, it's in here, but it's not actually news at all. Um, that's not, uh, yeah, just not a. I wouldn't worry about, um, you know, that, that's, that's not a new thing. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by the chat in the, in the corner. Gregory pointing out that um, the bus use thing might be just related to a general lack of drivers due to COVID, which it did coincide with the, um, yeah, it did coincide with the drop in rail ridership overall as well. So that could be it. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. Thanks, Gregor. Um, yeah. Anyway, I digress. So um, this 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 piece is it's quite good. Uh, and the piece is, is it's, it's on Gizmodo and it's titled Silicon Valley's push into transportation has been a miserable failure uh, by uh, Rhett Jones. Uh, the titans of tech brought plenty of disruption to our broken transportation system, but delivered little in the way of innovation. Yeah, quite. Um, so, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting little piece. It's good to see more people uh, talking about this. The, 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 the foray into the transport realm has almost uniformly been a waste of everyone's time and generally been destructive. 
generally been a negative thing. And I see far too many people within the rail industry and in the wider kind of uh, conventional transport industry and the public transport industry trying to wed this stuff. And there are too many engineers, colleagues of mine, who buy into driverless cars as, as, as being either real or good or, or at best kind of neutral rather than a, a properly negative thing that everyone should be fighting against with all their energy. Um, oh, I should have I should have gone uh, talking of which, because, but I think it'll come up later. In fact, will it? Let me just check this. Maybe I've got my slides in the wrong order. Uh, where is it? Oh, yeah, it's here. It's here. Uh, yes, actually, I will put this up here, because I think this is relevant. Uh, yes. Is that right? I think I did it. But, 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 but. Yeah, okay, good. I'm gonna put that there. Yes, that is right. I am uh, rearranging, uh, rearranging the. Uh, yeah. Anyway, right. Fine. 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 So, um, yeah. Uh, relevant to that is the uh, the fact that the Transport Select Committee uh, are uh, there's another inquiry. I've not got time to put evidence into this one, and they wouldn't want to hear from me anyway because I was I featured heavily. They can't just have me in all their reports. Uh, not that I'd get a look at necessarily, but you know. Um, other people can can submit to this one, but I'd be interested to see what the evidence comes up, up comes out with. Uh, it'll be it'll be a report that'll be probably, probably quite interesting to have a little page turn through. Um, yeah, but the driverless cars inquiry, the evidence uh, is you can submit evidence up until the end of this week, I think. But um, yeah, uh, go go to the transport select committee. By the way, the the used to be Commons Trans, uh, which uh, was an interesting handle, uh, but they've changed it to Transport. C-T-T-E-E -E on Twitter, so just in case you can't find them. But anyway, uh, fine. Driverless cars, inquiry. It's going to be a whistle-stop tour. Um, we're talking about data and the problems, you know, the the, the, the issues that we have with tech, and, and it's almost like the, the surveillance... I mean, the surveillance state is not a thing the tech, com the tech industry necessarily invented, or, you know, in Britain, it was very much like a... a, a the, the, well, it was a pre-New Labour thing, and then New Labour very much picked it up and ran with it hard, which is the, the kind of the, the British surveillance state, which, you know, we have one of the most surveilled, we're one of the most surveilled countries in the world. Uh, certainly have the highest number of CCTV cameras, or did until very, certainly did last time I checked the data. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a bit of a yikes here from the British Transport Police. The, the Chief Constable of the British Transport Police, Lucy uh, Dorsey, um, rejected criticism that the move would be Big Brother, that move being that um, a suggestion that officers could have access to Oyster card data to track suspicious rail passengers. Uh, this doesn't work, folks. This sort of this sort of uh, start with... I mean, you know, it's, it's a bit like Winter Soldier, you know, it's, it's like that sort of thing. But the reality is this sort of data collection, it don't work. It don't work. It's the same as data collection for people who might be benefits frauds. It doesn't work because invariably it just picks up irrelevant patterns. You have to have a person in there to check that the thing isn't bullshit. So you might as well just not have... Don't do this. Just, just This is not going to help. It's not going to reduce crime. You're just going to end up prodding gricers. It's just not It's not, not useful. Um, and it's just part of that bigger... It's a bit, you know, so the point I was making was that, yes, it's, it's a, politicians have been kind of... Britain's been doing surveillance state for a long time. But the tech industry, you know, California-style tech industry, has very much enabled this by this drive for data for data sake rather than having an end state uh, useful kind of use of data so yeah a bit worrying this is a big yikes anyone in the btp which i know there might be people affiliated with the btp watching this um this is a yikes folks uh push back against it it's not good uh right uh, jumping uh, sideways a little bit let's um let's talk about kirby briefly so the report, the, the REIB report for the buffer stop collision at uh, Kirby in, in Merseyside uh, has been released. It was released, um, when was it released? 
was released early. Yeah, it was like a, released a week ago, I think. Um, and and there, there are a few interesting things uh, in here. Um, uh, the probably the most interesting is this is is this I think is possibly this finding here, which is uh, this number two one here. Which is it comes back to the buff stop rating bot, right? Which is that yes, it's all fine and good having your signaling system, protective signaling systems, but our in the UK at least, our protective signaling systems are not uh, collision. They do not. They are not capable of of guaranteeing zero collision risk at uh, at, at, at terminal stations. They do a great job of, of reducing the risk, but they do not eliminate it. And uh, so this learning point from the RIP is a very interesting one. Train operating companies assessing risks at terminal platforms are reminded that TPWS will not intervene at all train speeds and is not fail-safe and cannot totally eliminate the risk of overspeeding in such platforms. So it's uh, a very important one to pay attention to. And yes, uh, Rate My Buffers did indeed uh, tweet about this a, couple, a day or two ago. Um, so yeah, uh, interesting report released, uh, as ever, well worth a flick through. I don't think we'll do a page turn of it, but uh, it's certainly one to, to kind of keep an eye on. Um, what else? Oh, some, we're kind of bouncing around before we get our teeth sunk into the kind of the, the, the big the big red meat. We're going to stick with a few like kind of uh, odds and sods and loose ends. Uh, more trams in Brum. Brum's just um, finished hosting the uh, Commonwealth Games, right? Which is generally was a good thing, although it's also just like a, a weird, like, we did colonialism on you uh, countries. Isn't it nice for you to now? I, there, there, there's some weird stuff about the Commonwealth Games. But anyway, generally, like, great. Some fun stuff going on in Commonwealth Games. Fine. Um Birmingham is an awesome city, and I, I was very pleased to see Birmingham kind of um, getting a chance to shine, uh, mostly. Um, but the new Ed Baston extension of the West Midlands Metro opened. Um, that was a, that was way back. This shows how how much news we've been collecting. I, I kind of copy and paste Twitter links into a big Google Keep note, and then pull them out into this. Is how I do the news. And um, so feel free to chuck me stuff during the week when when you think I might be interested to collect it and add it to the news. Uh, because normally I'll try and do these as a as a precursor to regular episodes, but there have been so many that have piled up, and it takes a little bit of time to set these up. So many have piled up that I thought I'd do a big catch up. Hence why we're here. Um, so yeah, uh, good, fine. There's some trams running. Um, it's forming the first public service from Edgebaston to Wolverhampton. That's exciting. Uh, this is good. I'm pleased about this. I'm looking forward to when the the trams reach out to Dudley. That'll be nice uh, because it was it's currently a real pain in the backside to get to. Out to the out into the black country proper, uh, and given that there's the 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 VLR centre and, and other kind of interesting stuff going on um, out there, it'd be nice to have a quicker connection. Not to mention the black country living museum that I want to go and visit because it's got trams and it's got quite a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, also and or, um, uh, yeah, also and or they they film lots of uh, Peaky Blinders in there, which is fun. Owen O'Neill points out that this extension came in. It's a good point. I need to add this extension to my database. But yeah, this came in at 100 million uh, a kilometre. Uh, yikes. Yeah, that is a yikes. Uh, that's an ouch. Golly. Uh, that's not quite as expensive as the as the second city centre line in Manchester, but that's it's pretty pricey. Uh, wowza. Yeah, we, why are we building... Why is this costing us so much? Well, probably because it's expensive city centre stuff. Did this one include the city centre stuff? Because if so, that's kind of... Yeah. But anyway, it's fine. Again, capital cost, whatever. Like, the, the more we do of this stuff, the, the, the cheaper it will get. Doing it as, like, bespoke projects, why you need Manchester will bring it down by having a team dedicated to just continuing to expand it. You just have a dedicated team working on expansions. Don't make it a single hit. Um, talking of Manchester, Manchester bus franchising uh, in late 2023 
is where you're going to have the first regulated services anyway. So that'll be very interesting. All of them will be under G. All, all buses will be under public control by December 2024. And uh, the full B network should be fully operational by the start of 2025, which is exciting. This is this is really very good stuff. I, I'm, I'm very pleased about this. Good stuff, Andy Burnham, who very much understands transport, as with... You know, as with the mayor of London, the the big powerful urban area mayors get transport because they have to get transport. Partly it's because it's the only big thing they can really have a major chain, major influence over. But also because they understand the the importance and the difference that trans good transport, better transport can make to a city, to to opportunities for people within the city. So that's exciting. Um, so we're going to see cat fairs as soon as September, which I'm uh, quite excited about. Why is my phone flashing? What are you doing, phone? Why, why are you doing this? No, anyway. Sorry. Um, uh, there we go. Yeah, very exciting. Thanks. Uh, good stuff, Andy and the team. Um, right. This is... So, yeah, Alex Hines posted this at the end of July. Uh, in response to your feedback, uh, we have trebled, yes, trebled, the number of bike spaces on board our upgraded... Uh, the HSTs, folks. You know, it's the HSTs. They're, they've upgraded them from two to vertical bikes, which is pathetic for an intercity train, let's face it. Uh, up to six, with four, four, the new four being, they've, they've, I think they've gobbled up some seats and they've put, um, uh, they've put four uh, kind of horizontal, just regular wheel them in bikes positions. This is good. Um, this is a good thing, and it's not that they're the first to leap because, as I will, uh, without teasing next week's episode, uh, other intercity fleets are available that have far better cycling provision. But in this case, uh, they have have made a change. Fine, uh, they could have done this if there's any other train. And uh, the IETs desperately need this as well. You know, you need to improve the the, the bike capacity of, of the IETs. They just and it, and it cannot be vertical. Vertical storage is the equivalent of not store having storage. It's just not. It's entirely inaccessible for most people. It's hopeless. You shouldn't really be able to count it as bike storage. Uh, we'll come back to this theme later of bike storage. In fact. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, this nonsense. Uh, of course, because of the TFL strikes, um, uh, yeah, because of the TFL strikes, once again, Shaps is going on about um, about driverless tube trains. These don't, they're not a thing. Uh, we've done this already as an episode, haven't we? Uh, it's just not, it's not a thing, folks. So, um, yeah, I'm not even going to say, yeah, there, there's a real matter episode on this. I've written about this. You can go and there's, there's just so much, there's, there's, Oh, there's chapter and verse on why this is total nonsense, and and the political context is very important for this. Um, uh, so, what else? Uh, JVP is saying bike storage on trains seems like a hard problem to solve. No, it isn't a hard problem to solve. All you need to do is just make the space for them. It means that you reduce the number of seats on the train. But if you've got, a, if you're not, if you don't have a service that's designed to have, that's designed only just to be full. If you're designing your train system to for like 110 percent loading rather than designing your trains to be about half full and then build, building the capacity upwards like that, then you're never going to have enough space for bikes because you're always going to be prioritising seats. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's no good. Yeah, all the IET bike storage is absolute rubbish. I'm worried about the EMR um, uh, provision. I'm worried about the the new ScotRail uh, kind of uh, trains and what their bike storage will have. It can be done because um, the... Hitachi, the, the Hitachi intercity trains that run between Edinburgh and Glasgow have quite good bike storage, bike capacity, so that it, it can be done. Uh, anyway, uh, slam doors have luggage cars, yeah, but they're slam doors and they're horrible. Uh, they're a disaster. So you know, we don't we don't need to bring back old trains to be able to fit bike storage. We just need to make their space for bike storage. We don't need there to be luggage cars. We don't need there to be all this sort of stuff. We just need to put 
bike storage into trains. It's not rocket science. Again, next week's real matter. Spoiler alert. Uh, what other nonsense? Oh, yeah, this nonsense, too. Uh, this is... Right, so 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 we've got two stupid things. This is Shaps, by the way. This nonsense and this nonsense is all about Shaps. It's all about Shaps, weirdly, wanting to keep the job. It's very dangerous. This is dangerous. Because he wants the job so much, uh, you have to be really worried about... Like, he is an awful, awful transport secretary. He is immeasurably worse than Grayling. Uh, just, just absolutely no question in it. Um, and uh, just, just, uh, and the fact that he wants to continue doing it is very worrying indeed. So he, this is why he's done this stupid cycle, like bicycle number plate rubbish, uh, which will never work. The DFT have done analysis showing that it would like inordinately expensive for no good reason. Um, so uh, yeah, people pointing out Boris is you know there's no prime minister, so ministers are going absolutely bonkers. Uh, yes, quite. So, uh, yeah, this, 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 and if you want a bit of analysis uh, on what the hell is going on with this, then John, John Stone of The Independent has written a really nice little read that I'd recommend you go and pick up. Um, it's, a, it's a very easy little uh, read, but, uh, but it goes into a bit of depth as to why on earth he's, he's doing that and, and, and explains that it's all about posturing because the one thing this government, as I've alluded to, that one thing, the one thing in transport this government has done that's all right is, is, is cycling provision and pushing hard. On, on, on councils to make more cycle provision happen to, to improve cycling infrastructure that, that's actually really good um, and that's not ple- that's not cheered up a lot of Tories there are a lot of unhappy Tories about this 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 particular fact and one of them is probably well in fact both of them are currently running to be against each other to be the next PM uh, has it even been confirmed yet when do we find out whether it is or is not it will be Liz Truss uh, anyway the uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the, the, neither of them. Are, they're obviously doing a lot of red meat stuff, and Shaps wants to appeal to that because he wants to keep his job. And in fact, there are some other hints within this piece that that John picks up about how much this guy Shaps, our, our special boy, wants to keep holding on to uh, the role of Secretary of State for Transport. Worrying stuff. Anyway, what else? Oh, talking of chaos. Well, while meanwhile, while all that rubbish is being bounced about driverless tube trains and bloody bike number plates and um, Britain burns we have uh, just absolutely enormously high temperatures that obviously happened a, f- a few weeks back this uh, is yeah oh, crikey I mean just breaking the 40 degree mark is wild 30, nearly 35 we didn't quite reach 35 in Scotland but 35 degrees in Scotland is also wild um, Hawarden shout out to the Hawarden Massive in Flintshire uh, doing quite a bit of railway work there around there recently Um 37 degrees busted in Wales. That's just wild. That's just, just abs. Anyway, not good. Um, uh, some pictures here of, of July generally looking at, not actually necessarily looking at the, the peak temperature anomaly, but looking at the mean temperature anomaly uh, here on the right hand side. Uh, and you can see that it's pretty widespread and, and that maps onto what, how much of Britain currently looks brown. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, this is, this is, uh, this is not good. Uh, also down here, on the on the left hand side of this picture is a again you see we've got the um, uh, percentages of uh, this is percentage it's now sadly sorry my Wacom is uh, squiggly right uh, I I don't know whether I'm currently having like a slow motion there that's better I don't know what's wrong with me at the moment my mouse feels like it's jittering around all over the place and my Wacom I don't know whether I've like hit my UID 
drivers or something hard. Anyway, this is now 1991 to 2020 rather than 1981 to two. Uh, sorry, 1981 to 2010 as it used to be. So it's moved up, which actually means all of this looks a little better than it used to. But you know, climate is defined as 30 year period, so that's fine. Anyway, uh, here we can see uh, dryness, the lack of rain, uh, the rainfall amount, um, and across Scotland. Okay, so it's, it's scary up in the Outer Hebrides. That's worrying but also all of this part of england is uh really really dry 20 percent of average that's wild that's unbelievably dry um hence many of the problems we've got are being exacerbated this is not good for railway earthworks for example as well uh just really really not good oh gareth williams is correcting me saying it's hardened yeah I, I, I as soon as i said it i was like oh wait i've been corrected on this before it is hardened thanks gareth williams yes um, oh, uh, Peter Cress asks, if you've got 40 degree air, uh, how hot do the rails get? Generally 20 degrees hotter. So 40 degree air temperature means that uh, you're exceeding 59 degrees Celsius. 59 degrees Celsius is the uh, do something uh, threshold for modern best materials rail uh, like tracks in, in the UK. You know, uh, decent ballast, ballast profile, ballast depth, high quality ballast, uh, G44 concrete sleepers, Send 60 rails, CWR, well-maintained, fully stressed. Uh, 59 degrees Celsius is the, is, the, is the temperature at which you have to put a speed on, right? You put a speed restriction on at 59 degrees Celsius. So if you've got 40 degrees Celsius air temperature, you've got, a speed, you've got to have a speed on on the best bits of the network. So think what that means. You know, the, 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 that threshold comes right down for crap track materials, right down to 26 degrees for the, for the worst. So uh, yikes. Yeah, many yikes going on here. Yeah, we had a bit of rain in New York, but it's all dried off. Uh, yeah, quite quickly, I have to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, driest July in England since 1935. Southern England's driest July on record. Driest July in England, 1935. Yeah, second warmest January to July on record. As ever, like, we just keep busting records wide open in terms of uh, climate-related stuff. Just not great. Conversely, we'll probably see even more rainfall during the winter, so we'll be coping with more flooding in the winter. And we just got to get used to the idea that the climate that we had of the past the is not the here. climate we have now and is not the climate we're going to have in the future. It's going to be more extreme. We're going to have to learn to cope with that. Uh, well, yeah, there's a bunch of houses. Climate change, we talk down. about hurricanes, extreme flooding, uh, extreme droughts, and you think, well, that probably won't affect me. I'm looking at someone's house on fire in Greater London. Yeah. And when you talk about climate change, well, actually, we talk about climate emergency now, and <laughs> it is literally on our doorstep. That is somebody who probably woke up yesterday, was hearing about the record temperatures, probably thought, oh, I need to drink more, this, that and the other. I mean, if we ignore the... I mean, it is a bit inane, but also it's kind of fair enough. I suppose it's sort of fine, fine. But also... Uh, yeah, uh, how many how many people have we platformed going on and on about the fact that this is uh, being exaggerated? How many people within the the kind of the legacy media, uh, particularly within the Daily Mail, but frankly right across the board, downplay climate change as being you know or or you know even the Guardian will you know hammer at the idea of climate activists be going too far and you know oh this and that you know the t the people letting down tires and all this stuff. It's like no no this is this is an enormous crisis. That is, like, is going to have barbaric consequences on everyone on the planet, apart from rich people, because they'll just pay their way out of it. But this is this is happening everywhere, you know, and and the fact that Britain is only just starting to, you know, 
we've been having issues in the in the UK for a long time as a result of climate change. But the, the fact that it's taking people's literally taking it the, the the point at which people's houses are literally burning down is the threshold at which we maybe think about doing something and, and think about changing the. The, the narrative, yeah. I mean, the, 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 we'll, we'll pick this up in, in a minute in terms of what the general perception is. But, yeah, people's houses burnt down here. Um, uh, anyway, uh, so... Uh, oh, there's lots of chat going on here. How do high-speed networks like Spain, France, Italy deal with these sorts of temperatures or higher average temperatures? Uh, oh, right, a couple of ways. So, um, in France, where uh, high-speed lines are uh, ballasted, then, same as us, they... they it's it's well the track and they have to reduce speeds when the the temperatures reach uh, very high levels. Um, when you go to high speed tracks in 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 Germany or Austria, uh, they are generally using uh, slab track. So you're using slab track. I don't know about Spain. I presume Spain is mostly ballasted. I think it is mostly ballasted. Uh, again, so it's the same challenges we have. Exactly the same issues we have. Um, they you know they have to put speeds on. They generally have higher you know higher uh, you know better OLE for example which is the one of the kind of key failure points we've got in the UK we've got loads of uh, kind of uh, non-tension you know fixed tension systems around still uh, where we have tension systems our design limit is, is like 38 degrees um, uh, so it's uh, or it was, it was increased to 40 degrees in 2012 so we kind of were meeting that limit as well but the same issues to be honest where you have slab track you get rid of the track buckling risk essentially um, you, the, you eliminate that risk really, uh, and then it becomes an early question. But lots of the uh, the Europe, lots of Europe's high speed networks are laid in ballasted track. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, absolutely, JVP. Yeah, the, the Guardian are at best useless and uh, are indeed actively malicious when it comes to all sorts of things. For example, uh, trans people, where they are just uh, repulsive. Uh, let's see. Uh, as the Guardian is repulsive, just to be absolutely clear on that one. Uh, what else have we got? Yeah, we've got here. Um, uh, yeah, Britain's continuing to burn here. This is the West Coast Main Line, and it's just oh, just a bunch of just the trees, just the railway is next to just a whole, just an ash pile of where there is former vegetation. It's a bit like the steam days, uh, except that it's forty degrees air temperature and stuff is dry as hell and just bursting into flames. Uh, what else? Track isn't the only thing that buckles here. You've got uh, platform buckling. Uh, just literally the platform kind of rising up and buckling as it expands in the heat. Uh, if ever you wanted to know why you put expansion joints into brickwork or into into like concrete, uh, this is why. Because it does this. Um, not good. That's probably going to be annoying and expensive to fix. Although I suppose that might explain why we had the buckle in, pla in uh, platforms. Now I've seen that. I know to think that maybe that's why we had that buckle in Doncaster Platform 1. Anyway. What else? Uh, oh yeah, just a level crossing, just a strail, uh, like the um, the kind of the anti-trespass uh, sort of um, stud stuff, just bursting into flames, just bursting into flames on the railway. Just normal stuff, you know, absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, what else? Oh yeah, and for all the people, the constant. So I was, you know, I, Dean and I were in Greece actually on the on the week of the heat. We were escaping the heat by going to Greece. I know there's a certain irony of of flying out to Greece uh, in the peak of like consequences of climate change. Um, but uh, call me out. That's fine. Uh, look at this, Britain. Yeah, people. People often shout. I know this. This the the title on this thing. Britain burns. Perhaps um, ill applied because we're looking at uh, northern Spain or the Basque country, actually. Uh, and um, this uh, this was a train that derailed because there's a buckle. There's a track buckle. Uh, it's a nice little narrow gauge system, actually. Um, RWL twenty twelve. Uh, 
I can sort of see your messages. Yeah, I can see this message. Uh, right. What else? Uh, at least those trees won't leave leaves on the track in the autumn. Yeah, correct. Um, uh, Nigel Lawson has been quiet on his climate denial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if not cut down, those trees will rot in place and may fall down. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, quite. JP, I'm trying, as best as one can in these times, to buy my first flat slash house, and this summer has convinced me that I will need to get aircon for it. Yeah, quite a lot of people are making that same decision. Uh, across Europe, I dare say, uh, not just in, here in uh, the miserable old dish sponge that is uh, squidgy Britain. Uh, yeah, so, oh, sorry, I was, I, was getting, I was getting distracted. I get um, asked about... Uh, I, I get asked the question, oh, how do other countries cope with this? You know, this doesn't happen elsewhere quite regularly. And it was quite, it was, you know, to be able to see, you know, just to have an image of saying, no, it, it does happen other places because it's all the same. Buckles happen where you've got ballast track. It's just a thing that happens. Uh, it's a meter gauge, the Northern Spanish Bass Network. Yeah, it's very nice. It's a lovely network. Um, but And these trains are lovely as well. But here's one being derailed because of a track buckle. Uh, so it does happen everywhere. Uh, and the consequences are, Clearly quite serious if you do uh, trigger a trap buckle. Um, and what's another one? This for me is like the big metaphor. Something unbelievably, um, I mean, yeah, let's, let's. There is something, this for me was like the most epic, like the most, like on the nose, meta, like not meta, like this is the most on the nose sort of image for the problem here is that we have uh, a motorway full of cars and huge high temperatures and just the road the, the all the vegetation on one side of the road just burning um and all the cars just continuing to drive and absolutely nothing changing no one kind of paying any attention to it whatsoever uh that pretty much for me is the metaphor uh have people realize that this is bad like don't do this and i know like it's not it, it's we're talking about mass systemic change so that people have the opportunity to not travel by car massive systemic change it's not this is not an individual choice situation folks this is a government's need to go oh yeah we need to reduce the number of cars on the roads by 50 percent. that's the level of like insane change that we need and no government is interested in doing it and certainly no government in, in the current circumstances where the government is actively seeking to shrink the rail industry um it's just yeah baffling absolutely baffling Oh, just yeah. Um, let's skip on from that. And, and what's funny is that pretty much that like that week, um, the government released its net zero. It's uh, sorry, it's jet zero strategy, delivering net zero aviation by 2050. This uh, strategy is absolute and total bobbins, like just total bobbins, absolute junk, just junk science, junk nonsense. Uh, I, I was what was I looking? What was I looking up recently? I was looking up. Um, I was looking up the A3... Was it the A380 I was looking up? And I was trying to work out what the hell is happening with the A380 and realised, in fact, there's one here. So this is funny. This this aircraft here, specifically this one, this project uh, was cancelled <laughs> during COVID. It was just cancelled outright. 
this is a project to um, dry to try out new. Um, actually, was it this one? It was an, actually no. It was another one. It was another one. There was a the A three eighty one is is still running. There was it was one with a BA one four six, wasn't it? That I think was that was uh, that was running with a new engine that was going to be a, a kind of attempting to reduce emissions uh, and kind of an electric engine. Um, and uh, and it was just cancelled. And, and this is the case. Lots of big projects have just been entirely uh, cancelled uh, related to uh, to reducing the emissions of aviation. Uh, many because they're just totally non-viable, and m- most because the aviation industry is like, oh no, panic, uh, reduce people travelling. Oh, we don't care about the the projects like that. That was just basically us greenwashing our industry. Uh, let's uh, cut those because they cost money. Um, and you know what about this report? Well, as uh, Josh Gabatis pointed out. Um, this is about the sum total of what the UK's 83-page Jet Zero strategy has to say about cutting the number of flights people take. Instead, aviation will be allowed to expand, and the government hopes that biofuels and zero-emission aircraft will save the day later on. Uh, here is the single sentence. Our analysis shows that the sector can achieve Jet Zero without the government needing to intervene directly to limit aviation growth. I mean... It's... Yeah, I, I, you know, I, what, what, I, I cannot. I, I can, it's just a struggle to achieve anything other than sort of. It's just, it's just wild. I, I just, I, I cannot, I cannot fathom it. You know, it's this, and it's not about, you know, lucky people like me who get to go go on holiday. That's okay, not great for 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 planetary missions. But actually, the the main issue we've got is all of the domestic flights that we still have. A hundred and there were one hundred and seventy pre-COVID. There are still one hundred and thirty flights between London and the Scottish Central Belt every day. Not a single one of those needs to be running. All of them just need to be. The government just needs to to go. Oh no, they're gone. They're axed. They, they don't. They're not. They're not a thing. That's what needs to happen. Will Labour do it? No. The Tories absolutely would not do it. You know, we need to close London City Airport. That should not be an airport. It doesn't need to exist. Crossrail has absolutely rendered it redundant. It was redundant before, but Crossrail has eliminated its need to exist. Those should not exist. Um, battery-powered planes are never going to work. Hydrogen-powered tra- planes aren't working anytime soon. It's just the technology to provide any sort of uh, zero-emission aircraft is simply not going to happen be- before 2015. It's very unlikely to happen before the end of this century. It's just not happening. Far more important is that we reduce... We don't, there's so many flights that don't need to exist if we just built the right infrastructure in the UK. Um, but even before that, just get rid of... If you just get rid of those flights altogether, people will start... People will flood onto trains more. They will flood onto... Um, which is a problem because, oh yeah, all of our north-south trains are full again already. LNER, 120% ridership from pre-COVID levels. Absolutely full. Totally rammed. Lumo, way rammed. Full of luggage. People would take the train more if it was... If there were more seats and if it was if the fares were more reasonable, uh, so anyway, very frustrating. And it doesn't stop there. So I've captioned this as a uh, you know, UK net zero strategy is zero strategy. Well, this continues because on the day of the hottest temperatures, um, the historic High Court ruling. Uh, so this is Client Earth's website. Uh, historic high, uh, high Court ruling finds UK government's climate strategy unlawful. Um, In a landmark victory for climate justice that comes as the UK faces its hottest day on record, the High Court has ruled that the government's net zero strategy breaches the Climate Change Act. 
The three legal challenges brought by Client Earth, Friends of the Earth, Good Law Project and environmental campaigner Joe Wheatley were heard together at the Royal Courts of Justice in June in a judgment published today amid the Met Office's first ever red alert for extreme heat. Mr Justice Holgate finds that the net zero strategy, which sets out plans to decarbonise the economy, doesn't meet the government's obligations under the Climate Change Act to produce detailed climate policies that show how the UK's legally binding carbon budgets will be met. It also finds that Parliament and the public were effectively kept in the dark about a shortfall in meeting a key target to cut emissions. This is all, I mean, this is absolutely all uh, sort of table stakes stuff at the moment. We all know this stuff. But um, this is just, yeah, it's, it's just, this is just absolutely defines, um, this absolutely just totally defines the, the, the issues with the current government. And it's not like much as we want it to, it's not going to change with a new government because the Overton window shifts so much that, you know, any even the even a government with the best of intent, a new administration with the best of intentions have so much work to do to reverse all the crap that this government has done that we're just going to we're just going to we're slipping so far behind on this stuff. And it's so important. It's so important. And people think it is important. You know, the public concern about climate change is like 84 percent of people are concerned are willing to say they are concerned. 52% of people think that the UK should bring all emissions to net zero before 2050. That's 52%. That's the golden ratio. That means the whole country thinks that we should be bringing all emissions to net zero before 2050. That is a substantial number of people, right? Um, it is, yeah, the British people, people in the UK, uh, do want to do better than the current government is. Uh, only 7% of people actively think the target should be achieved more slowly. Uh, and I don't care about those people's opinion. Oh, anyway, sorry, lots of sighing going on. Very frustrating. Uh, yeah, everyone, zero emissions flight is isn't happening. The, what we can do is just reduce domestic flights enough that we don't need to worry too much about the you know reduce aviation emissions sufficiently. We don't have to worry too much about them. That's that's fine. You know, uh, net zero is pan sector. You know, you look can look across sectors. So. Um, if we are just massively reducing emissions elsewhere, then we can, you know, it's, it's not, you know, people still need to fly and see family, you know, they need to fly uh, to get to other countries, to broaden our cultural horizons. That's, uh, frankly, that's a good thing. You know, I don't think it's, I, I think it's, it, it's important to enable people to see family, to, to broaden their minds, uh, uh, to, 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 to share our culture across this planet. Flights enable that. You know what we don't need to share our culture across this planet? 130 flights a day between London and the Central Belt when there's plenty of good train services. Anyway, uh, this is a nice graphic that popped up that I wanted to... Um, do not bring back Zeppelins, uh, Jamie P. <laughs> uh, the orderly transition. This is this is what we're always told, is that, oh, there needs to be an orderly transition. And here's... here's with the help of, the, of, the, of Hawking's warming stripes... Um, and some general kind of key moments in climate history, you can see how good politics has been at, uh, you know, capitalism rather, has been at, uh, at, at transitioning us away from, you know, and reducing our overall emissions. Here are um, parts per million is the, is the actual graph there. The colours are, of course, the, 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 the Hawking stripes, so they're, they're global average temperatures. And you can just see 1979, First World Climate Conference, Oh, absolutely no difference to uh, carbon emissions. The first IPCC assessment report, absolutely, well, actually, there's a tiny little dip. Uh, no difference to greenhouse gas emissions. The first UN climate change conference in 1995, 
no difference. In fact, a spike in uh, an increase in uh, in carbon emissions. Kyoto Protocol in 2005, absolutely no difference. Copenhagen in 2009, zero difference whatsoever to carbon outputs. And the Paris Agreement was adopted in 2015. And so far, it has had zero impact on greenhouse gas emissions. Oh, what's the trend here, folks? What is the trend? Uh, the trend is that capital refuses to let this happen. Uh, yes. Anyway. So, uh, and also everyone going vegan won't cha won't fix this either. I don't see some mentions of vegan in the chat. Like everyone going vegan would not, would, that's no bigger, bigger things need to happen than that. Far bigger things. So, um, oh, brief intermission on, before we get back to talking about big climate strategy. Um, here is East West Rail. Do you remember East West Rail? There it is. Here it is. Um, doesn't it look stupid without OLE? This is a 125 mile an hour railway. Dead straight lines here. Lovely, lovely kind of high quality railway being built without OLE. It looks stupid because it is stupid. It's incredibly stupid. Um, just, just very silly. And uh, talking of East West Rail, <clears throat> this guy. Look, first of all, um, the, some candidates I know have come out and said, look, we'll have 20% across the board. Everyone, sorry, guys. That's not the approach I'm taking. What I'm saying is we'll have a fiscal star chamber and we'll look at all of the 1.2 trillion pounds that the government spends of your money uh, each year. And I'd be very surprised uh, if there are not a few billion that could be saved in order to fund... What would you cut from your products. transport budget? I would take east-west rail. And yeah. I would remove, Why have you done it already? Uh, well, I haven't had the opportunity to well, be you're the transport secretary. You could have easily done it already. You could have gone to Rishi Sunak and say, I know you want to cut spending. Here's one way you well, can I, do it. I, I've done that in other ways, but you just asked me a question what I would do as Prime Minister, and I'm telling you. I would cut east-west rail uh, on what's called uh, two and three, so this is the second and third, uh, tranches of it, it would say three to five million pounds straight away. Not HS2, though. Well, the thing about HS2 is it is really genuinely being built. So cutting it now would leave uh, massive tunnels under large parts Are of, you uh, parts of the country. Are you committed to net zero, the 2050 targets? Yes, I do think we have to get to net zero, but I don't think... Oh, my God. Uh, what a guy. Our special boy Grant Shapps here just barbling on um, pretty shocking that he... I mean, he's just saying rubbish again, uh, as ever he does. He's a despicable piece of work, isn't he? He's just a, a dismal human. Worst kind of guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, his, uh, his, his, his like condescension. He's constantly just condescending everyone he's talking to. It's, it's horrible. Um, yeah, the idea of... I mean, firstly, he's talking about... He just has absolutely no interest in... in, in if he's cutting railway projects, then he obviously, transparently, has no interest in 2050, uh, in net zero. Also... Um, like yeah exactly like the idea that cutting all these things saves money like the idea that you cut a load of things that make the economy work better you know productivity is a chronic issue in the uk and like a key tenet in why our economy is such a load of uh, absolute wreck um and one of the fundamental gaps is that we have awful public transport infrastructure <laughs> it's rubbish it's absolute rubbish uh, the most important public transport infrastructure that we could have, which is suburban connectivity, is the is we might have among the worst suburban connectivity in the world, like in in the developed world, certainly in Europe. Just hopeless. You know, we have great long distance trains. We have pretty good rural trains. Those aren't the really important ones. The, we've sacrificed that suburban connectivity for the long distance services and rural services. Fine, they're important. They're a lifeline, but they are not the things that are critical to the broad economy. The suburban connectivity into our major cities is. And he's talking about cutting major projects that will, again, help relieve that, uh, help enhance the connectivity outside of uh, London, um, you know, regional interconnectivity. 
and also it, his his hypocrisy in saying, oh, you know what, what you know, HS2 is being built. Like, what, what, uh, what what did we just look at the pictures of? What's that then? Wild. Uh, yeah, no, uh, just 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 a dismal dismal creature. Um, right back to this uh, zero strategy, net zero strategy. Um, yeah, here he is. His chaps. Uh, just this is fresh off the press uh, today. Uh, backing a two hundred million pounds uh, dueling scheme, a, couple, a few junctions being uh, being upgraded, uh, new dual carriageway, five and a half miles, which is a very expensive bit of road um, for no good reason. The, the the reason the DFT, so the DFT are having to hunt around for more assertive reasons to justify this stuff, and the one they've picked in this case is safety. Of course, the way that they could improve safety is by putting average speed cameras in. That would make all the fatalities go away. We have plenty of evidence of that now. Average speed cameras work incredibly well at getting rid of fatalities. They just work. They just immediately make the road safer. So you just put average speed cameras in. Put 50 mile an hour average speed, cam average speed cameras in and all the fatalities will go away. Also, you'll improve capacity on the road because all the traffic will move at a consistent speed and actually have a decent through flow. So, uh, yeah, the dual carriage, we ain't going to fix that. Uh, the reason for this is because a load of local Tories want there to be a big bypass and this will form part of it. But this is just, again, just nightmare policy. Just the worst possible, most stupid shit being proposed here. Um, and uh, firstly, new civil engineer, you've broken my subscription. I am I, Just because I was late paying my ICE subs doesn't mean you should deny me my entire subscription this year. I'm going to have to speak to them. But uh, here's Rob Hackerman writing about um, the RNEP, the, the Rail Network Enhancements Pipeline, which has now reached... Well, it's more than a thousand days. It's one thousand and nearly one thousand and thirty days uh, without a single update. Just zero update to the whole. So this is the whole rail industry has no idea what's going on. Entirely behind closed doors. Zero idea what's going on. Hmm. Wonder why that might be. It's more of this stuff that I talk about with government by press release, isn't it? Anyway. Um. And uh, talking of which, you know, we talk about this kind of chaos strategy. We have, rather than delivering TRU as it was originally proposed, because of the integrated rail plan, integrated rail plan has now broken Transpennine route upgrade because it's it's converted the Transpennine route upgrade into an enormous, arguably overspecced project because that the the Transpennine route, rather than just upgrading the signaling and electrifying it, they're doing all and then there's some sensible grade separation, fine, but they're doing an enormous amount of work to try desperately to get the fast speeds out of this, rather than just turning it into you know temp there'd be an uplift in capacity by electrification and by improved signaling and by a couple of junctions being remodeled and by a bit of uh, fore tracking. In the meantime, while you then build NPR properly, right, while you build the new Transpennine high speed line, the Transpennine route. Like that route uh, via Huddersfield, the Huddersfield line should be a suburban high density railway eventually, not a high speed line, not an intercity railway. So the the fact that they are now expanding up to nearly twelve billion quid Transpennine route upgrade is you know and they're, they're you know that it's it's not good news. It's going to delay that project. It's going to delay completion of that project. Uh, in, indeed, that it's originally supposed to be well, originally no, it was allegedly supposed to be twenty twenty four completed, and now it's been pushed back to twenty forty one. That's a yikes. Yeah. Um, so, not good. Um, and this is interesting. So, this is Liz Truss. This is um, uh, Rob Parsons and uh, Daniel O'Donoghue at, um, at the, the Northern Agenda picking this one up. So, it's, it's a good little steal from them. Um, but it's important that we pick this out. So, this is Liz Truss saying that she will build Northern Powerhouse Rail. So there are, she's lying, like she's just lying, she's not true, she's just making that up because she wants to make sure that she, she's trying to appeal to the, the red wall, so-called red wall MPs. What's, um, 
interesting by this though is, is the two things is not what she's saying she's lying that's not not particularly in fact she's a phenomenally boring person that's not what's interesting what's interesting is, is two things here firstly the knowledge that or the awareness clearly within multiple people within the conservative party that that, that the irp integrated rail plan is not delivering on the past rail that's the number one interesting thing here the number two interesting thing here is a clear awareness that delivering that, that, that delivering more than the IRP has promised, so actually delivering that new high-speed line across the Pennines is a good thing. So a knowledge that the IRP is not delivering the new high-speed line across the Pennines and that the new high-speed line across the Pennines is actually a good thing, that's interesting. Liz pretending and lying that she's actually going to deliver it is not interesting. That's table stakes. But this is interesting. The fact that this is, that this, this is the discussion within the Conservative Party is quite interesting. Uh, Christian G is saying, to be fair, she doesn't know if she's lying yet. Uh, she, yeah, but she is lying because she has no she has no personal intention of pursuing this project. She's just saying it as a thing. Um, yes, it's a bypass. You have to build bypasses, Mister Dent. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Yeah, quite. Um, anyway, how many uh, single track kilometers of oil can you get for twenty uh, for two hundred million pounds? Uh, well, in theory, between one hundred and fifty and two hundred. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's not actually ends up being the reality. It's probably quite a lot less than that. Probably about forty. But there we go. Um, yes, it's not impossible for them to U-turn on this. The Tories were kind of swinging around. They realised the IRP was an absolute calamity. But anyway, um, that's John again. Hi, John. Uh, yeah. So this is an example. This is a good example of kind of that that zero strategy approach, but also the general contempt that this government has for the process of of of, of actually running the place, um, and. Yeah, so this is John Stone pointing out that this, honestly, this kind of non-response is just contempt for Parliament and by extent to the public. Uh, so it's a pretty fair, straightforward and fair question um, being asked by Christine Matheson uh, from Chester, uh, MP asking, um, when the Secretary of State last met the Chair of Transport for the North? Fair question, quite reasonable, nothing loaded in there. And uh, yeah, hi, hi, John, yeah, it's you. Um, uh, nothing in there. And Trudy Harrison's response to that was... Um, this grotty response, which is the Secretary of State and departmental ministers meet regularly with the chair of Transport for the North. It's like, just give an actual answer, you worm. <laughs> just give an actual answer. It's, 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 it's contemptible. It's absolutely contemptible. And it just sums up the bigger picture of just like the lack of any sort of view of, of getting anything useful done. It's, it's very frustrating. Um, right, let's go into a bit of brief happy news. Uh, look, it's uh, it looks like a weird. It looks a little bit like a Indiana Jones horror special effect, but it's no. It is in fact, um, smash. It is in fact a tunnel boring machine breaking through at Long Itchington. Uh, that's exciting, isn't it? Oh, it went black at the end. Um, yeah, it's this thing. Uh, look, it's me and Jeff Marshall off of the the, the YouTube. Um, it's this thing. Uh, I did. A, there, there will be a rail matter from inside this beast. Uh, I was going to go and I'd quite like to go and walk through it after it having been dug, which is kind of why I'm holding off. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's the hope. We'll 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 get there hopefully. But anyway, um, we'll we'll take you on a tour of inside that uh, tunnel boring machine uh, momentarily. First though, uh, yeah, that's happened. That's good news. Um, however, it's not all good news with HS2. Because government is obviously kind of you know continuing to wobble on on all sorts of things, and there's basically like um, 
discussions of this, so this is Dr. Dr. K. Inkle has raised this point. Uh, to increase train travel, the breadth and diversity of the public needs to be fully accommodated within the design, rather than, offer the, rather than offering minimum poorly designed spaces that exclude and discriminate. Uh, thanks, Dr. K. It's good stuff. I think I got you got. I think I was already ready for you at this point. But in any case, that's a absolutely uh, key point. Uh, and this this piece, the Disability News Service, picks this up, and it's talked about the fact that the Disabled Persons Transport Advisory Committee um, has told the government that storing bikes on vertical racks in the in the HS2 trains, which is what's currently being considered, would be a retrograde step in terms of accessibility. A lot of people rely on bicycles as mobility aids, right? And that's why I talk about the fact that vertical bicycle racks are basically shouldn't they, they, they might they're, they're useless they're an absolute waste of time yeah um so uh, yeah this is this is bad and and it just worries me about the spec and and it worries me about the potential that government will walk back on their commitment to providing level boarding on the HS2 fleet that was part supposed to be part of the spec I would be unsurprised nothing would not tried not to let anything surprise me these days because they're such swines in government but i would be unsurprised if they then walked back from that as a, as a cost-cutting effort um yeah very frustrating the use of the racks is apparently being given serious consideration even though they would increase the need for assistance for disabled and other passengers who want to bring bikes on board yeah really uh, not a good state of affairs and um, talking of hs2 uh, will hayward from um uh oh wales online crap i think wales online anyway from Wales, uh, Will has done some really good digging uh, and also did, had an interview with uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, possibly. Who knows? He's not doing anything. But Nadim Zahawi. Um, and Will challenged him over the decision to class HS2 as an England and Wales project. Absolutely right that it, it, he's challenging that, despite the fact that none of it of HS2 is in Wales. Um, they ended the interview after Will pressed him on it. Uh, this is a really good thread. Go find it. Uh, you, you can go find the thread. Just just find Will's thing or, or just search the text that's in the tweet you can see here. It's a good thread to read through. Um, and, and Will doesn't drop into the mistake of saying that HS2 doesn't benefit uh, Wales. He rightly is drawing the fact that, the, as we did in our episode, um, uh, you know, this episode, does HS2 benefit Wales? Uh, the answer is yes, it does. But that's essentially irrelevant to the fact that Wales is getting no Barnet consequentials at all from this. Uh, and it kind of comes back to, uh, you know, this, this is a really key point. Don't don't make up stuff about HS2 to, because you'll undermine a very important point. Uh, you know, if we jump to, to this is the key point, pulling out of that episode, actually, the, the key point is that Westminster, Westminster analysis uh, predicted sizable HS2 benefits for Scotland, um, and they gave Scotland 10 billion quid of a consequential, right? So despite there being benefits, they gave a consequential to Scotland, right? Uh, the reality is that Scotland will see like significantly fewer benefits than Wales from HS2. It just gets the fast trains. There's no capacity release, and arguably they're you know, restrictions on capacity as a result of HS2 without the new infrastructure being built in Scotland. Uh, Wales, Westminster's, you know, Westminster analysis has predicted no HS2 benefits and in fact has predicted for Cardiff there would be a disbenefit. It's not true, by the way. The analysis is horribly lacking. But that is the government analysis. Yet they classify HS2 as an England and Wales project and give Wales no consequential. Um, the reality is that Wales will see significantly greater benefits than Scotland from HS2. But that doesn't, that's not why the, Wales hasn't got a consequential and Scotland has. It's because Barnet, the Barnet formula is an entirely political tool that can, you can very easily just dodge it, flout it. Um, uh, some interesting, right, some, some interesting, remember to out me for questions because I find it easier to catch it in my peripheral visions. But uh, let's, let's briefly pause because there are a few questions. Um, let's go big face briefly. 
On the subject of Wales and HS2 stuff, no, actually, some other things. People are talking about... Uh, oh, Peter, uh, what prevents companies like Alstom from doing level boarding compared to Stadler? Can't they just follow similar designs? Uh, yes, but also the challenge is that companies like Siemens and Alstom, uh, Alstom having inherited Bombardier's design and Bombardier having inherited uh, AdTrans and ABB Transportation and ultimately uh, Brel's designs... Uh, they don't want they they don't want to change the the platform the the, the design of their trains the the the, the train the 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 uh, the Aventro stars are the same they're basically like they're okay they've they've tweaked lots of things they've swapped the boogies out they've done all sorts of things but the body shell is to all intents and purposes the same as as it has been since it was designed by British Rail Engineering Limited you know not a huge amount has changed on that on that body shell and certainly not not as, not as much has changed since Antrans and if there and and that results in. Uh, some level of uh, increased in, in, in kind of income from the fact that you haven't had to redesign the train. Um, you know, redesigning that, that train entirely would cost a lot of R&D cash and they don't really want to spend that. They, they, don't, they don't want to spend that. Hence why the floors stay in the same position as they were when they were, you know, when train coaches were stage coaches, but with train wheels. So that's why. Um, so... Uh, what else? Scotland, Wales. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the answer to your question, hopefully, Peter. Um, da, 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 da. Yes, uh, Jake Welsh is pointing out that there is a motion. Uh, there's a GPW, Green Party of England and Wales motion um, at the conference to change the policy to be in favour of completing h in full, which is exciting. If you're in the Green Party, go and support that in every possible way you can. Uh, tweet uh, Greens for HS2 to... to um, I'm not wearing a Greens for HS2 t-shirt. No, I've got a bunch of Jawas with a Dalek. But, um, uh, yeah, tweet Greens for HS2 to, to ask how to do that and, and where you can get involved. Uh, right. Let's get rid of my horrible face and go back to uh, this. What else? Ah, yeah, let's let's jump back to 2008. Uh, this, oh, this might, this might be loud. But anyway, let's remind ourselves what was happening in 2008, shall we? People of Britain. Our beloved country is being ruddy well knackered by hoody people. Your and a general abundance of undesirables. Thank you for the E4 bunker, where you can watch E4 while Blighty goes to the dogs. Forget about the country's decline in values while you watch Big Brother's Celebrity Hijack, Skin Series 2, or head online to the all-new E4.com. The E4 Bunker. Safe, secure entertainment while Britain goes ruddy well pear-shaped. I mean, there's a whole Britainology episode on this advert, isn't there? Um, weirdly, there's an award-winning advert. There's Peter Dixon there being dragged down into the ground. Um, but, uh, yeah, this ad... Oh, my God. It just reminds you what Britain was like. Forget the horrible social commentary in that uh, advert. I know it's being slightly parodical, but, like, very much... A reminder why we ended up where we the mess that we ended up in and why the vote went the way it did in 2010 is because for years we'd been brewing up this idea that that well all this like like all of the horrible social commentary in that um within that uh, oh, just within that plug and it's e4 that's ostensibly that's the liberal telly that's like the guardian telly and it's just like dumping down on uh, on uh, kind of basically dumping down on council people who live in council estates um, but that's Britain. That's what, if you remember, Britain was that nasty then. That was just, that was the vibe. That was the deal. Um, and it tells you a lot about, um, yeah, it tells you a lot about an awful lot of things that we were, we were uh, in 2008. This was an advert created pre-crash that everyone was going on about, oh, British values being lost and all this rubbish. Um, jump for us to 2022. 
and we're going to be using coal to attempt to uh, bail ourselves out of an enormous energy crisis. And the whole country, you know, inflation is through the roof, you know, highest inflation in, uh, yeah, Britain. So Britain really is going to the ruddy, Britain going to the ruddy dogs uh, is actually happening right now. Forget 2008. We've had, uh, you know, uh, what is that? We've had 2008, uh, uh, what's my son's? 14 years? Yeah, 14 years of um, of the Tories wrecking the country. Well, not just them. Um, anyway, we have um, CPI uh, inflation. So inflation uh, is at all-time high, higher than it has been in like 40 years. Um, we have, uh, yeah, absolutely, all that like anti, all the kind of the anti-benefit stuff. That was all like new labour initiative. Like, it was a weird time. It's a, such a, it's a good Britonology on that advert, actually. Um Milo, if you're watching, which you're not, because you're in the you're in Edinburgh, um, then then maybe that's the Britain. That's it's another Britonology for you. That advert. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, inflation is crazy. Um, we're at the point where blackout. This is Julie McFarlane pointing out that um, who, you know she was living in Beirut back in 2012, and they were rolling blackouts when she was renting a flat there. That's now an, uh, that's being considered as a as a contingency plan in the UK right now. Like everyone. Wake up! The country. This is a decline. This is a country in rapid decline. <laughs> it's, 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 we're not in a. We, we are in a, de a rapidly declining country, um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just wild, wild stuff. Um, and and the key thing, the theme within this, and we're not we're not. This is a this is real matter, but so we're not going to focus hugely on the, the the cost of living crisis, but it is important. So there are, there are several things that are very important. One of them is that the fact that the higher inflation has has wiped out forty percent of the of the of the budget, the, the alleged budget increases that were supposed to be happening, um, which themselves are getting pulled back anyway. I think they're getting cut away anyway. Um, so to fully compensate, departments, treasury would need to stump up more than eight billion this year and about eighteen billion in each of the next two years, um, which is frankly not that much money. So they just should, but you know they won't. Um, another thing uh, related to this is um, uh, kind of uh, here hopping back to, to TFL and looking at the, the funding of TFL. Oh, this actually is a slide that I definitely should have put up next to the driverless trains thing. Uh, so it's slightly out of place, actually. It's not quite relevant here. In any case, here's TFL's lost revenue um, related to the kind of the fact that government funding has, has also evaporated. So there's been a... Um, there we are. So well, what's that? Let me just read this. So... oh. Passenger revenue um, in, yeah, so the difference between actual, uh, it says divided by budget, but that, I don't know if that's right. Basically, you can see this, this passenger revenue has actually been increasing every year and is, is predicted to increase quite substantially next year and continue to increase on TfL. Um, but the, um, uh, oh, so that's the, is that the budget? Right. Okay, yeah, that's the budget is 5.1, 5.4, 5.8, 6.5. The actual was in 2021, it was only 1.5. So it's 5.1 was the budget and um, 1.5 was the actual. So it, it eventually it will catch up, but it's taking a while. And so there's, a you know, the revenue this uh, last year, or sorry, the year before last, uh, was a loss of, of 3.5 billion, 2.3 billion the last year or up to this year. And the plan will be 1.5 billion for another two years at least. So, um government funding has not met this by a billion quid and by kind of like it's not meeting this so this is the kind of the tfl issue this is definitely the slide that should have been next to the driverless thing but anyway it's interesting to just look at it i thought it was an interesting josiah mortimer pointing this out um uh, just some interesting numbers as to the problem in the tfl um right anyway let's 
jump back to the Britain going to the Ruddy Dogs. Uh, Simon Evans uh, here of uh, Carbon Brief picking up some interesting, a good thread kind of um, highlighting some of the issues here. So five fa- bills are going to be more than £5,000 for, for people, which is the highest in over 50 years relative to income. Um, Two thirds of households are going to be in fuel poverty. Like it's a thing that, you know, I, I, I'm much as it might, I, I doesn't feel like it because like I'm not in a way that I can just randomly afford everything. Like we have to save, we have to be sensible with money. I'm in like the top 20% of earners. I don't earn a huge way. I'm, I'm a kind of fairly, you know, I'm on, I'm on an all right wage as, as a senior engineer, but not. I, I'm not being paid a large, large amount of money. And as a household, we are, neither of us, you know, Dean's an academic, we're not. And yet, and yet, we're in the higher, we're in a serious high level of, of earners. We're in the top kind of uh, two, de- kind of the second highest decile of, of income. Everyone who's earning less than us is in a worse state. We're going to be suffering horribly this winter. It's going to be really difficult. We're going to have to really tighten up. Um, budget's going to be really difficult. All of the people who earn less than us, who have household incomes less than us, are going to be in such a... Uh, the idea of that, like the enormous misery that this, that's, going to, that's incoming this winter, people are going to be on the streets, and not just on the streets because they have been kicked out of their house because they can't afford their rent or their mortgage. Um, the political offerings are very interesting here. Um, yeah, this is like the, 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 the costs here are about £193 billion pounds um, is how much is going to uh, home energy is going to cost, which is um, bigger than the uh, bigger than the the defence budget, it's bigger than the education budget. Um, it's nearly as big as the health budget. It's just it's just an, an enormous amount of money. Um, oh, it's just it's just it's a crikey. Oh, so um, uh, yeah, so you've got this this sort of um, this this kind of set of boxes here, kind of pointing that out. This is all the different rises. So the increase in summer twenty twenty two. Added sixty-four billion to to the to the cost of um, of energy. Uh, then it was the by October twenty twenty uh, by October thirty-four billion predicted to be then by January twenty-three it'll be forty-seven billion and, and by April twenty twenty-three it will be another twenty-one billion coming, which kind of adds all of these adding up, piling up, piling up, piling up um, uh, to reach one hundred ninety-three billion quid being spent uh, extra in energy, just quite something so this is the uh or 193 billion quid in total sorry the 64 billion is what it would have cost in summer last year the extra 34 billion then is is this summer so if we capped it this year that's an extra 34 billion that the, that the country's having to spend on energy and then if we jump to um the percentage of uh sort of looking at how much household income is being spent it's jumped from being around so, so kind of all home energy of uh, kind of you know, gas and electricity uh, you've got all home energy home and vehicle if you include the vehicle costs jumping from around about five percent to nearly 15 percent of household income being spent on 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 kind of energy which is just that's it's just going to be absolutely chronic it's it's catastrophic yeah if only we hadn't sold off our own energy markets yeah well there are other things as well into that like if the if, if the tories hadn't um canned off you know basically de facto banned onshore wind is is a serious uh, issue you know nuclear as well if we hadn't um sacked off building nuclear after size well-being we'd kept building nuclear to, to to basically replace all of our kind of fossil fuel burning power stations with nuclear and then topped up with renewables lots of things simon evans continuing his thread and pointing out that um the reason for the for the 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 extra um the gas price uh, rise um 
the UK, as Simon points out, it's a good thread. It's well worth. The UK is, is kind of uniquely exposed to gas prices in a weird way. Um, but there's another factor involved in this. So, so yes, like 85% of gas heating, you know, homes are used gas heating and 40% of electricity generated with gas. Uh, very stupid decisions all around. Um, you know, we haven't insulated homes, all this stuff. Um, uh, so, but on top of that is the fact that because the pound is worth piddle all at the moment, thanks to Brexit, we, uh, amongst other things, but mostly Brexit, um, it costs a lot to be buying gas as well. So it, that is passed directly on to uh, consumers. The other thing is the is the billion pound bill for inverted commas cutting the green crap as David Cameron. You remember him? Do, 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 that guy. Um, well, in if you have a look here, the annual saving if policies had not been scrapped under current and future price caps. So um, the, the currently four billion quid would have been saved. But by the time you get to January next year, over 13 billion quid would have been saved off that 193 had all that stuff not been cut. And that's a mixture of solar, uh, actually maintaining zero carbon home policy, um, having onshore wind counts for an enormous amount of that um, because of so much of it would have been coming online, and then general efficiencies, you know, insulation and all that sort of stuff. So, yikes. Yeah, but blue passports. Yeah, well, quite, Gareth, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, UK nuclear and UK rail electrification, both great examples of what happens when you let your expertise die for decades then try to suddenly restart. Yeah, quite. Uh, yeah insulate britain uh, were right folks uh, another interesting uh, little graphic here i think this is probably the most damning one of all is uh, and this doesn't include labor's latest announcement in fairness but it's it's showing uh, the johnson government support package so this is against 193 billion the the johnson government support package is uh, only 17 billion the green and social levies are only 4 billion liz truss's national inf uh, sorry national insurance contributions cut is only 7 billion energy v bill vat Labour's previous incarnation, only five billion, so almost the weakest suggestion of all. Sunak's extra five billion is a waste of time, um, uh, although immediately meets the energy bill VAT thing. The Lib Dems energy furlough thing is by far the most ambitious up to that point. Uh, with this, this was a when was this? This was uh, August the twelfth. So this is Labour hadn't announced their new policy by this point, but the the energy furlough is thirty six billion of the one hundred ninety three. So still, that's an enormous gap uh, of of like problem not being solved uh yeah not not good um oh and um on top of all of this just add to the fact that we're reaching a point in britain where um you know the, the we're supposed to have had leveling up but it, the, the the genuine evidence is that there has been leveling that, that basically we've seen leveling down because the poorest in society uh so it's basically up to the poorest kind of the, the poorest um what is that that's the da, 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 is that split into uh, of five percentile groupings okay so the the, the basically the lowest the lowest half of earners have essentially all uh had their incomes you know ha annualized disposable incomes household incomes have reduced right they, they've all reduced everyone above that have seen their uh household incomes increase and the increase is absolutely the percentage increase is increases as you get richer so the richest 10% here um, have seen enormous and the the most the, the highest the, the kind of the, the most well off in society have seen uh, nearly a, have seen a 13 to 14% increase in their um, disposable household incomes uh, yeah quite uh, oh no that's still around sorry they've seen a nearly 3,500 pound increase in their uh, annualized disposable household incomes um, so yeah 
Uh, and then you get the sort of the absolute, some of the most stupid shit I've ever seen from morons like Tom Harwood coming up with. Um, so I'm getting angry because I am angry because of these. This country is being shredded. It's becoming a place I don't want to live in anymore. Um, and uh, people like Tom Harwood can come up with this absolute rot. Uh, I don't know how Tom Harwood sounds, but I'm going to do a posh voice because uh, inverse snobbery, right? Um, he just strikes me. He looks a little bit preppy. I'm just getting that vibe. I've never listened to him. I actively seek not to listen to him. More billionaires means less, less equality, but it also means more revenue, better equipped hospitals and air-conditioned schools. Uh, no, it doesn't, you clot. Um, Trickle-down economics does not work. I grew up in North Aberdeen. Um, I can tell you that Aberdeen is the finest example of how trickle-down economics does not work because much of the UK's wealth of the last few decades went through Aberdeen and you would not know it for spending any time in Aberdeen. Um, uh, also, the science points out that that's absolute rubbish. The economic consequences of major tax cuts for the rich... Let me just read this abstract out because it's well worth listening to. By the way, this is relevant to transport. It's relevant to the environment because you don't have climate... You don't solve climate change if you have social inequality. You just don't, because the the, the, the richest in society just will continue to do what they do, uh, continue to fly in the private jets and pollute everywhere. Um, the last 50 years has seen a dramatic decline in taxes on the rich across advanced democracies. There is still fervent debate in both political and academic circles, however, about the economic consequences of this sweeping change in tax policy. This article contributes to this debate by utilising a newly constructed indicator of taxes on the rich to identify all instances of major tax reductions on the rich in 18 OECD countries between 1965 and 2015. We then estimate the average effects of these major tax reforms on key macroeconomic aggregates. We find tax cuts for the rich lead to higher income inequality in both the short and medium term. In contrast, such reforms do not have any significant effect on economic growth or employment. Our results therefore provide strong evidence against the influential political uh, economic idea that tax cuts for the rich trickle down to boost the wider economy. Trickle down economics is bollocks, folks. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, the conclusion there. Just not great. Anyway, um... Oh, yeah. And then I did a little poll that, that concluded at the start of the week. Uh, and the general feeling, OK, in a quite a small pool uh, of, a, of a frankly very one sided uh, Twitter following. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much the, the general feeling is that the that, that vital services should be in public hands. And it's funny that a lot of people like are like, oh, no, but you can, I have discussion with people like, oh, yeah, but, the, you know, the government can't run uh, public services. They can't run energy. They can't run electricity. They can't run water. It's like these things were in these, these things were being they were run by the government until like 1990 like gas electricity water until very recently they were all state run and they were state run and it was fine like actually more strategic stuff happened we built power stations we did big things when it was you know we it was in a better state i'm sorry the investment was bigger and better before now it is not so anyway, yeah, absolutely. There's just, just absolutely no place for any private involvement in, in running utilities. And yes, I can't railways in amongst that. But um, anyway, uh, meanwhile, uh, yeah, the Ford report was out. And I'm not going to talk about the Ford report. Go listen to Trash Future uh, about the Ford report. But just to, I was no Corbynista. I'm not a Corbyn fan. But indicative of like when radical politics and, and, and you know, a, a political party becomes fairly democratic you know there's a grassroots movement within the party to 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 do 
social democracy, to do fairly uninspiring social democracy, but nonetheless to do social democracy. And the, 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 the effort that was undertaken to stop that from happening is <laughs> just enormous. You know, uh, uh, here's John picking out the fact that um, uh, anti-Corbyn Labour officials covertly diverted election cash to allies and away from winnable seats, uh, finds the Ford inquiry, amongst other things. Um, and also, the party is collapsing in on itself. You know, a hundred thousand members losing. Uh, the only reason I've not left the party is because I can't find, I can't actually log in to delete my uh, membership. Uh, so they've made an enormous loss. Also worth pointing out that under the previous version of the Labour Party, they not only did they start making a, a, a surplus of cash because of bringing in loads of new members, they also paid off about twenty-five million quid of new Labour debt. Uh, so we talk about responsible, you know, adults in the room politics, and this lot have managed to uh, bin the party's finances, which is pretty spectacular. Anyway, enough about that. Strikes. Here's Moyle Lothian McLean um, picking up the fact that Royal Mail workers have voted in favour of a strike. Um, the National Education Union is talking about the fact that a strike is imminent. Um, you know, we have the UCU balloting for strikes. We have got... Uh, you know, Felix Stowe port workers are going to strike, which is going to be hilarious because they're going to deny Britain its treats. And that'll be, wowza, it's going to be quite something. 21st of August, it's coming, it's incoming. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be in Serbia at the time. I shall watch from a distance and uh, shake my head. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm going to cancel the direct debit, Jamie. That's the right to do it. Anyway, um, strikes are happening. Lots of official strikes are happening. Labor, no, strike, Anti-strike laws are pretty rigorous in this country. Lots of official legal strikes are happening. Tell you what is not happening is all this rubbish about unofficial strikes. And this is what we titled the episode. And we're going to conclude. And hopefully I'm going to finish by half past. Sorry, John, I know it's dragging on. Anyway, <clears throat> um, uh, unofficial strikes. Passengers use it. This is, so Grant Shapps tweeting at about the same time, so a bit later in the day, but both on the same day, which is the 31st of July, which is indicative that this is a DFT line that's being fed straight to Avanti West Coast. Basically the same wording being used. Avanti saying, due to unofficial strike action by train drivers, we're expecting multiple short notice cancellations. Uh, Grant Shapps saying, unofficial strikes, passengers using Avanti, blah, 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 should expect disruption. Sonny Webb made up rules, the, the arcade rules from 1919, he didn't put any citation about that, he just made that up, like no one knows what those rules are. I mean, working on rest days is voluntary, <clears throat> uh, actually the unions have been fighting to make Sunday not a rest day to just make it part of the rest of it so again lies uh, unions are now stopping drivers volunteer this is just rubbish it's just absolute rubbish uh, we must modernize rail he says while, while cutting rail horrendously um so uh yeah this is this is bad and then avanti dug in um uh you know a week later kind of continuing to say um severe staff shortages current industrial relations climate unofficial strike action <sighs> so Unofficial strike action. Why are they saying it's unofficial strike action? Well, they're lying, of course. They're just that, That's the line they've been fed by the DFT. Um, it's the holidays, so staff are less willing to, to take up, you know, to, to, to cancel leave days and work. Also, everyone's got COVID, and there are lots of people along, you know, more people are in long, on long, off on, I think it's like 11% of the workforce is currently on, in Britain is currently off on long-term sick, more than ever in history before. Um, we have a chronic overemployment problem in this country there are way too many we just don't have like this we have no people available to do work uh, far too many people who are trapped into uh, contingent work or or you know rubbish jobs that they are just kind of like you know kind of like uh, zero hours contracts and things that they can't really escape because if they escape it they don't pay the rent um aren't willing to advance up the kind of up the working chain and, and work their way into skilled jobs in the rail industry for example um we also have got rid of you know we've 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 
uh, enormously disincentivized anyone from from any risk of job move because uh, everything's so expensive. You don't want to risk changing job. It's not a good time to have an industry that needs skilled people. Also, government told the train operating companies to reduce their budgets by 20%. They were like told, what was it, 1.2 billion or something annually. Or there's some figure and, and all the train operating companies, which means essentially the only lever that the train operating companies have to reduce their costs is staffing. That means wibbling, the, 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 all they can do is move the big lever that says recruit to don't recruit. That's the only thing they can do. Um, <clears throat> and... That means that they don't have enough staff to run the train service. And it means that Avanti's service, so theoretically, you know, we had the Intercity episode last, uh, when, when was it, last time, no, the time before, talking about the fact that the West Coast was the flagship service uh, for Britain, is now being uh, turned into a skeleton service. Horrifyingly embarrassing. Just absolutely wild. I, I just, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. So, just quite, quite scary. Um... Uh, yes, uh, lots of oh, yeah aren't aren't willing can't afford to move jobs as you as you need those hours to survive. Uh, absolutely, Peter. Yeah, lots of people pointing that out. Um, uh, yes, um, uh, Paddy is disagreeing with my point about um, the debt being paid off before. Uh, da 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 da. Uh, yes, outspent, no extra money. Sorry, Paddy, that does, that's not what the evidence says. Um, yeah, so uh, not 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 a healthy state. Britain's not in a healthy state, and unofficial strikes aren't happening. You know. It's just it's just the fact that they don't have enough staff and people don't want to work the you know it's a triple whammy of well people don't feel inclined to work extra days because the industrial relations are so uh, uh, so bad at the moment um, also the the fact that you've got um, uh, the fact that you've got uh, it's the holidays and also lots of people are long term sick you know that's uh, it's not anything to do with unofficial strike action uh, unofficial strike action people are entitled to have rest days and not work on them. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I've not seen the 16-point plan for industrial relations that Shaps has published, but I'm guessing it'll be her, uh, an absolute mess. And then Helen Pitt just tweeted this out. Um, uh, Avanti, on the subject of poor Avanti, uh, just not being managed well at all as a train operator, by the look of it, um, because they managed to, and this isn't necessarily individuals on the ground who have caused this cock-up, but uh, basically a train arrived at Oxenholm, everyone got off, and the, train had been, and the station had been locked up and the gates closed, and ended up people climbing over fences to get out. Just not good at all. Um, yeah, uh, very much uh, a train operator in decline, as the whole industry is. Not not a healthy situation. And Transpennine Express as well is also referring to unofficial strike action. Uh, even though Transpennine Express are just running a dread, like they're running a dreadful service. They're running a reduced timetable. Um, they again, they're struggling with with a chronic driver shortage. They can't. They don't have enough driver, drivers to to train to keep drivers with a fully ticketed, and they're short of drivers to cover the service. So, so many trains. We're already a reduced service. The, the train service between York across the Pennines is hopeless at the moment. It's a real mess. Oh, um, an interesting little thing, again, which I picked up um, today, just saw, is um, is this from the gender pay gap bot. If anyone remembers that from um, uh, from the, the the gender pay gap. What was it? Women in... Oh, I can't remember which particular day, but they're basically the the... All the businesses tweet about, you know, uh, International Women's Day, and they all go, tw they all tweet about how wonderful their company is. And this bot uh, quote tweets every single, uh, every single one of those tweets with the real gender pay, kind of open published uh, gender pay gap data. And they did it for Network Rail. Uh, Network Rail had been closing the gap until 2020, and then it's opened up in 2021. I'd be interested to see the 2022 figures. Um, but I'm interested to know what, to what extent a, 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 a kind of an equality impact assessment has been done you know a, a gender pay gap uh, assessment has been done in relation to the redundancies uh my guess zero 
But anyway, uh, yeah, so government modernization, inverted commas, is potentially impacting on gender pay gap? I don't know. We certainly don't have the data to actually assess that yet. That, that's me. That's why I put a question mark on that specifically, because we don't know that that's the case. But it'd be interesting to understand whether that's uh, that's why. Um, so let's, uh, well, let's, let's, let's end. We're coming very close to the end now. You'll be happy to know. Um, uh, a few of you watching who will be very, very happy to know that I'm finally reaching the end. Um, people want to travel by rail. They do. Uh, Paul Prentice and I were, be, were quoted uh, in a nice chat in um, uh, in the in the I paper, which I know is a murder piece. But anyway, is it? I think it is. Um, but anyway, uh, we were interviewed in it, and um, we were chatting about the fact that there's this interesting data, rising rail passenger numbers, particularly at coastal resorts. There's a sea, Railways are driving a seaside boom. Um, on uh, you know around around the UK, uh, particularly around uh, uh, kind of the, the English sea resorts. It's hard to tell for Scotland because Scotland weren't publishing numbers um, because boo. But anyway, so uh, Scarborough is uh, hashtag winning fifty two percent increase on uh, on pre COVID levels. Um, St Ives forty five percent, Sheringham in Great Anglia, uh, kind of on the Great Anglia network, nearly fifty percent, Bournemouth fifty percent. Um, you know, uh, Skegness and Clandidno, uh, you know, twenty percent. You know, big big jumps in 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 kind of ridership on on services to the to the coast. People want to travel by train, and indeed, you know, I got quoted at the end. Um, uh, rail expert and campaigner Gareth Dents, that's me apparently. Uh, so I said the certain demand for travel to seaside towns shows negative assessments of the future of the railways is short sighted. Um, I, I might have to impersonate myself again. Uh, if we simply make railways better, there's an enormous amount of latent demand, he said. What this data shows is that there's a natural symbiosis between railways and coastal resorts that's never really gone away. As soon as we see better public transport, we see them succeeding. Yeah, exactly. No mention of Clacton, says Jack Elliott. Well, indeed. Um, beaches are, of course, now flooded with raw sewage. Thank that's because we have freedom. We have uh, Our passports have become uh, such a dark blue that they are, in fact, black. Anyway, that's nice. What else is nice? The European Railway Isochrones. This is fun. I like this. Um... Uh, isochrones-eu.vercel.app um, yes uh, Benjamin TD uh, has put this together Benjamin thank you um, and it's this it's this thing it's, it's nice look at this you hover you open the page and you hover the mouse over a station and you get an idea so it's Stockholm Central you can get most places and it shows you some isochrones as to where you can get to within five hours so uh, you know, let's go for there's Nathalaton there's, there's, there's York could get to a good chunk of the country within five hours. Uh, let's see what a high-speed network does in Paris. Uh, thanks to the high-speed network in Paris, you can get to most places in Paris within five, like most places in France within five hours. Uh, Germany, uh, a mixture of good and uh, oh, it's froze, which is obviously useful. Um, well, anyway, we'll we'll leave that since it seems to have uh, frozen itself, which is very good. Thanks, thanks, thanks for that. Uh, it's a good website, probably. It is good. It's good fun. You have a play on there. Um, I, I asked for a thing to be done, which is to turn that into a heat map to show the best and worst connected places, because then you can use that to drive um, changing the... actually deciding where new infrastructure needs to be for railways. Um, oh, and to end, oh, the happy news to end, which is that um, the architecture of the railways bill is back for Series 4. It's coming in 2023. Here's lovely Tim. Um, and it's, it's back. It's, it's going to be back. The fourth series. I'm very excited about this. Very happy. Um, so, uh, yes, this is, this is, this is a nice thing to end on. So some nice news to end on. 170 of you watching. Hello, all of you. Lovely to have you along. Um, oh, whew. there's a whistle stop tour. I'm, I'm half, 35 minutes late. So, um, 
Chuck your questions into Discord. Uh, lots of discussion, I'm sure, on there. Um, but let us uh, let us close. This is, episode will be available on audio-only form. I generally think I'm mostly keeping on top of the audio-only form. I'm away for two weeks, so we might fall behind a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, audio-only form, go listen on all good podcasting platforms. Please do, if that's the sort of thing you enjoy doing. And thanks for listening if you have been. Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis. Two, go on to Patreon and support more of this happening. I'm conscious that we have a, um, that there is a uh, cost of living crisis. All of you who are paying me lots of money, you can, like, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis, you only have to pay uh, one quid a month uh, and you get all the goodies. Of which, that you know, there are there are some goodies. Uh, that was the worst plug ever, I realised that. But uh, it does allow me to basically, it pays my time to be able to deliver this stuff because it's, it's, it's time-consuming and uh, life-consuming. paypal.me slash Gareth Dennis for uh, throwing loose change at me if that's the sort of thing you want to do uh, with a little note telling me that I'm a, a knobhead or something uh, attached to it. That's absolutely fine. And the Discord server is at garethdennis.co.uk slash Discord. Next week, uh, an episode that I'm need to put together uh, sometime possibly late tonight finishing this off uh simon kendler and i went to answer the question whether stadler really have built britain's best train fleet we will answer that question next week episode 128 and uh, literally about to be recorded is an episode with me and john uh john stone uh where we're gonna say uh we're gonna look at uh europe's mainline network the, the kind of the high-speed network and we're going to um list off uh, not quite 10 of those the missing links that we think need to be uh, need to happen uh, so that should be fun um uh, episode 129 uh, so that's two weeks worth of, of next of, of next episode you get there everyone um it's been an absolute pleasure that was a bit of a whistle stop it ended up going very long i'm so sorry but it's been lovely to have you all um take very good care of yourselves uh, i'll be back in three weeks with a live episode but in the meantime, uh, take yeah, take 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 it easy and have fun. Ch cheerio, everyone! Cheerio.